Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Square One, the official podcast of the Down to Earth Institute. With the usual suspects as your host today, say hello Manvir. Hello Todd. Today, along with a brief look into October's biggest sustainability stories, we'll be talking about the one thing that's going to be on everyone's mind in the first half of next week. That is, of course, presidential and congressional elections in the US in just two days' time now. It's been a long road since Donald Trump's upset win in 2016, paved with fake news, coffeff, and, according to the Washington Post's fact-checker, more than 22,000 false and misleading claims. And while we're sure that by this stage most people are probably well beyond fatigued with news from the campaign trail, we thought we'd take a bit of a look at what the polls are saying and consider some of the fundamental implications of four more years of Donald Trump. Over to you, Manfit. Thanks, Todd. And I think to start off with, we're going to have to answer that that big question, who's going to win the election? And of course, at this stage, it's just, it's just predictions based off um, polls and economic indicators. And The Economist are predicting that Joe Biden is very likely to beat Donald Trump in the Electoral College, fancying Biden's chances at about 95%. And it's it's not just the economists, the stock markets are also favouring Biden, as the presidential predictor indicates. And that's the performance of the S&P 500 index in the three months leading up to the election. And as it's ever so slightly declined over the last three months, that spells bad news for Trump. In fact, this predictor has correctly determined the winner of the presidential election every single time, except once in 1956. These predictions may suggest that the outcome of the election is already decided, but on closer viewing, the outcome may be more uncertain than it seems at first. Todd, you seem to have found a Pennsylvania-shaped spanner, haven't you? Absolutely, of course, there's always going to be a spanner in the works. Pennsylvania was, of course, last time in 2016, one of the bellwethers of the Trump victory in the Electoral College. Um, Now, as we all know, the election in in the United States this year is going to hinge very much uh, on what happens with uh, the counting of mail-in ballots uh, and early voting against votes that are cast on election day. Um, why is this important? Well, the statistics suggest that Democrats are far more likely to be voting early or to be voting by mail compared to Republicans uh, who all the signs say uh, are going to show a pretty big turnout on election day. Uh, as opposed to by mail-in ballot or in early voting. Um, now, there are some conflicting statistics out there about how well Democrats are doing in the early voting at the moment. What we do know is that more than 90 million Americans have voted early, either by mail or in uh, in early voting polling stations already, which is a, a massive record-breaking turnout for early early voting. Um but if, if the statistics are proved to be correct and Democrats do have an advantage in the early voting as opposed to election day voting, that means that Democrats, the, the estimates suggest, um, need to gain about 70% of the early votes to outweigh their disadvantage when it comes to polling day. Um, and there are some, some indicators from on the ground that in states like Pennsylvania, um, that's not necessarily going to be the case. The Democrats don't necessarily have a large enough advantage in early voting um, to overcome what is expected to be a bit of a red wave on election day. Now, the the pencil reason this is a Pennsylvania-shaped spanner 
um, is because if, if you have a look at um, 538's Trump-Biden election map, where you can decide which way that some of the swing states are going to go and it will revise um, its expectations. At the moment, it expects Donald Trump to have a 1 in 10 chance of winning the election and Biden then uh, a 9 in 10 chance. But if you flip Pennsylvania to Donald Trump, well, things look slightly more alarming. They they go they go mostly red. Um, Donald Trump, if, if he wins Pennsylvania, he's got a 6 in 10 chance of winning the Electoral College. Um, and if, if those if those worries about early voting versus election day voting prove out to be true, um, well, let's say I'm not going to get much sleep on November the third, Malvia. So you're 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 saying you're worried uh, in in the possibility that Pennsylvania does win. So I can tell perhaps where uh, your allegiance lies um, with this one, but let's let's imagine that Trump does win. What what would the sustainability implications be of, of his victory? What what would that entail for not just the US but the world? I mean, there's there's two ways of looking at it. There's the obvious direct implications for the sustainability agenda in areas like um, women's rights, Black Lives Matter, um, climate change, because of course there's very little chance that Donald Trump is going to take the US back into the Paris Climate Agreement. Um, which, of course, they come out of in, again, just a few days after the presidential election. Um, so there's there's those really obvious kind of direct implications um, that, that lurk in the darkest corners of my nightmares. Um, but then then there's the and this this for me um, is, is perhaps the even bigger implication of, of what four more years for McDonald Trump um, would would have. Um, and that's in its impacts on partisanship and trust in institutions. As we all know, the sustainability agenda is very much built on well-functioning institutions, strong governance, um, and lots of lots of effective, robust checks and balances, um, like, for example, the Supreme Court, as it's supposed to be in the United States. Um, but what we've seen over the course of the Trump presidency is that partisanship and, and trust in institutions They've, they've gone in opposite directions, of course. Partisanship has massively increased um, under, under the Trump presidency, um, while trust in institutions has basically collapsed. Um, and there's a really easy way of, of kind of seeing that um, in, in people's behavior. Um, so the, the Pew Research Center um, has, has had a, a long-running series on partisanship in, in U.S. politics. And I just wanted to share um, a couple of statistics um, from some of their latest research. We do like our statistics. We do. We do like our statistics. Um, but then that's what happens when you put somebody who's got a maths degree and somebody who's got half of an economics degree uh, in the same podcast. Um, so on, on, on the coronavirus, the US is by far the most divided um, on how its citizens think its government have, have done in dealing with the crisis. So 29% of non-Republicans say that the administration has done a good job against 76% of Republicans. In the UK, um, it's 37% against 70%. It's 69 to 85% in Italy. Um, and the gaps are small as 93 to 98% in places like Australia and Denmark, which is just, I mean, it's remarkable that that gap. Um, I'm not sure again, revealing some of my um, political leanings here, but I'm not sure how anyone could say that the Republican administration has done a good job in handling the crisis. So there's they, that, that's, that speaks quite strongly to, to partisanship. 
Um, the the next two next two little tidbits I have um, are all to do with trusted institutions. And in in this case, given what's happening next week, I wanted to focus on trust in the democratic process. Um, so in April, the Pew Research Center did a study on um, beliefs that the election would be conducted fairly and accurately. Um, they found that 75% of Republicans believed it would be conducted fairly and accurately, and that's against 46% of Democrats, so less than half of Democrats thought the election would not be conducted fairly and accurately, or they weren't sure. Um, when you when you look at um, whether people, whether Republicans and Democrats think that all citizens who want to vote in the election will be able to, 87% of, of Republicans agreed with that statement. And that's against 43% of Democrats. That's an even larger divide. And it's particularly stark in light of what we've heard um, in, in the debate about mail-in ballots, um, mail-in ballots even, early voting um, and, and, th and things like that. On mail-in ballots, particularly then, we've all heard the news um, <laughs> about Republicans' views on, on whether mail-in ballots... Um, introduce significant fraud into the process. To, to put some numbers on that, a September poll found that 43% of all Republicans believe that fraud has been a major issue with mail-in ballots, while 31% said it had been a minor problem and 5% indicated it wasn't a problem at all. This compares with 11% of Democrats saying it's major, 23% saying it's minor, and 47%, 47%, that's nine times more, saying that it's not a problem at all. Now, the, if, if you if you break down the figures into um, people who get a major part of their news from the campaign that they support. So if you look at the figures for Republicans who count the Trump campaign as a major source of news, 61 percent of those people, 61 percent say that voter fraud um, for, through mail in ballots is a major problem. Twenty five percent are minor problem and one percent are not a problem at all, which is, is just I mean, it's it's crazy. Um, even compared to your average Republican, 43% of, of average Republicans believe it's a major issue. 61% of those who, who follow the Trump campaign's news. Um, if, if, you look, if you look at the breakdown for, for Democrats, that, that distinction just isn't there. Not, not anywhere near to the same degree. Um, it's, it's just, I mean, I, I, think, it, I think it's crazy. Um, and if, if you ask me, that's the, that's the biggest risk that we're facing from four more years of a Donald Trump presidency. It's the risk to to democratic norms, to due process, to the independence of the courts, to even to the the core of the very democratic process itself, right? If people can't believe that elections are going to be conducted fairly and accurately, then what what is what is happening to the United States, right? That's not that's not a, a, a democracy anymore, let alone a true democracy. Um, Supposedly also the advocates for democracy across the world quite commonly criticizing countries where democracy hasn't prevailed so strongly. So kind of it, it takes away that legitimacy that the US might have um, trying to be an advocate for democracy. Oh, yeah, hugely. The, the implications for, um, I, I hesitate to use the word world order, but the, the implications for um, for, for global geopolitics are, are just remarkable if the states continues to edge towards what is basically autocracy at the end of the day. Um, that's, you know, that's a, a slightly extreme interpretation of, of perhaps where things are going. But you, you, you see the signs, you get harassment of the press, you get voter suppression, 
um, political interference in the court system. Those are all things we would expect to see um, in countries which are autocratic, places like Hungary. You see exactly the same thing. Um, it's, it's like I say, it, it's <laughs> it's what lives in my nightmares. Man. I don't know about you. Well, I just think that when it comes to the sustainability agenda, this is such a, a crucial point that you've raised because people rely on on the institutions around them to to govern the change that they want to see. And without that trust, I think it makes it difficult for people to to spur themselves into action, to motivate not just themselves, but the companies, the organizations and, and the governments around them. And when people don't have trust in the institutions around them, we start to have significant issues in trying to raise awareness around things like climate change, but also to raise that action. And I and that really does scare me too. So I can see why this lives inside your nightmares. I'm, uh, thankfully, it's not quite been so prevalent in mine, but, you know, um, maybe that's because the election is yet to be decided. Of course. And, uh, and as we know, as we found out in 2016, anything could happen. Um, the, the pollsters do say that they fixed the problems from 2016, that they're much more confident in the results this time around. Um, and I've seen some analysis banding around that would set, that says that the polls would have to be even more inaccurate than they were in 2016 um, for, for Donald Trump to pull off an ele- uh, a victory in the Electoral College, um, which, which gives, I think, some comfort. The flip side is that, of course, the presidential race is not the only one that matters because there's the Senate race as well. Um, but that's a, that's an entirely different can of worms that I, I don't think it's, it's wise for us necessarily to open <laughs> um, today. What about Amy Coney Barrett and uh, some of her conversations with Kamala Harris? Just to <sighs> open mean, that slightly for yeah, a second. When a, when a Supreme Court nominee says that she she doesn't know whether climate change is real or not. Um, I mean, she's a Republican, so like I have to be honest, it doesn't surprise me that much because that's no. a classic kind of Republican trope, isn't it? Um, but it's 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 alarming, um, particularly with a, a six three Republican majority on the court now. Um, that's that's. But yes, who knows? It it's it's all change. We hope on on November the third. Um, so, so watch this space, um, and I'm sure we'll be coming back to this uh, in the blog and on the podcast um, in a couple of weeks' time. Let's wait and see. Let's wait and see, indeed. So, moving on then to this week's summary uh, of the news. As there was no podcast uh, two weeks ago, we're actually looking at pretty much the news from all of October. Uh, so we've pulled out some of the, the highlights from the last four weeks. Um, and yeah, here they are. Research by global NGO Oxfam has found that the historical carbon emissions of the top 1%, the richest 1%, are over twice that of the 3 billion poorest people in the world. The report also finds that emissions by the richest 1% have grown three times as fast as those of the poorest 50% over the last 25 years, a particularly stark find in light of the fact that the poorest among us suffer the most from climate-induced threats like floods, famines, and tropical cyclones. 
Chile has voted overwhelmingly to rewrite their Pinochet-era constitution, with 78% of voters in a nationwide referendum supporting the move. The vote was called following widespread anger and protests over high levels of inequality and demands for democracy late last year, which of course led to the country being unable to host COP25, 2019's iteration of the UN's global climate negotiations. New research by responsible finance initiative Portfolio.Earth has found that investment banks across the world provided over £1.9 trillion in 2019, to sectors responsible for driving the ecological and climate crisis, primarily through loans and insurance underwriting services. An African Union panel has criticised credit ratings agencies for cutting poorer nations' debt ratings during the coronavirus crisis, meaning many have struggled to raise funds to support their policy response to COVID-19. The panel noted that 11 countries had their rating downgraded directly, with a further 12 put on negative outlooks meaning their assessments were at risk of being cut in the near future. John Magufuli has been re-elected by the Tanzanian public in an election marred by accusations of political interference. Regional experts reported that significant police and military deployments created a climate of fear, resulting in the electoral process falling far below internationally accepted democratic standards. And finally, a series of Christian groups from the United States have been exposed for pouring millions of dollars into misinformation campaigns in Latin America since 2007, according to an investigation by Open Democracy. The organisation found that $44 million had been spent by around 20 right-wing Christian groups on campaigns related to COVID-19, health and rights issues, including anti-abortion projects accused of using deception and manipulation against vulnerable women. Thanks, Todd. And if you want to see uh, more sustainability stories from this month, go check out our website. That's www.downtoearth.institute for the October News Digest. And with that, we come to a close for the fifth episode of Square One, a Down to Earth podcast. Keep an eye out for the next episode. And thanks for listening.